Church, I'm inviting you to pull out your Bible this morning and open to Luke chapter 21 together. And I'd like you to consider the following five words as you open your Bible. Prayerful, alert, wise, calm, and faithful. These words are the traits that should mark the true people of Jesus while we wait for Jesus to return. In fact, these five words are the traits that should mark the people of Jesus because we know that Christ will return. Let me say them to you again. Prayerful, alert, wise, calm, and faithful. And what I'm gonna show you this morning is these are not my words. I didn't invent these words. These words come from the heart of Jesus in Luke 21. In a moment, we'll read it together. But one of the things I found that's helpful in a moment like this is to imagine the opposite. So think of the next five words. Prayerless, oblivious, foolish, freaked out, which is a hyphenated word, okay. Freaked out and unfaithful. I like the first list, don't you? I like the first list. It was Oliver Wendell Holmes who once said, sometimes Christians are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Have you ever heard that quote? Sometimes Christians are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. You know, C.S. Lewis totally disagreed with that quote and so do I. And here's what C.S. Lewis wrote. He said, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. It's one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. Prayerful wise, alert, calm, and faithful. And we want to be that kind of people. And we want Jesus to stir up our church body to that end. And that's what Luke 21 is about. Will you turn there with me and listen to the words of Jesus? We left off last week at verse 19, so we'll pick up in verse 21. Here's where Jesus goes next. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter it for these are days of vengeance 
to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And what's happening is we're, we're, we are joining Jesus here in the middle of a discourse about halfway through. Pastor Christopher last week preached on the first half, a wonderful sermon, very impactful. And he left off at verse 19. We pick up and read the rest of this discourse. It's a prophetic discourse. So Jesus predicting future events. And he had started by predicting the complete destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And the thing that the reader knows now is that that prediction was fulfilled only 37 years after Jesus made it in AD 70, the Roman army sacked Jerusalem and they left no stone on top of another. And what Jesus tells us in this paragraph is that that fell under the category of God's rejection of Jerusalem, his recognition that the city and its religious leaders, its religious system no longer had a role to play in salvation history. God had been warning and warning and warning. The nation, its temple, and the holy city are no longer tied to redemption. Redemption will now be found in the Son of Man and the promise of his return. And that's where Jesus turns next. So we make this massive pivot at verse 24. And you look at verse 24, and Jesus speaks of a new time, a new age. He calls it the time of the Gentiles. That's, that's the time we're in right now, the time of the Gentiles, when the function of the church is to take the message of the gospel to all the corners of the earth, to every Gentile nation. We live in that time and we look forward to the, to the end of the age when Christ will return and Christ now turns to a prediction about those events and to very practical suggestions to believers. So I'm going to read it now. I'm going to read 25 to 38. And here's what you need to look for. I want you to pay attention to the number of times that Jesus pauses to say something really practical, really concrete advice for disciples. It's very interesting. Here's what he says next, verse 25. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and you know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. The word of the Lord, a wonderful passage, very intense, very complex. Here's what I want you to notice. Every time that Jesus talked about the end of the world, his purpose was practical. It was practical. He would weave into his predictions. He would literally litter them, scatter throughout these moments where he would say something very concrete to his disciples. He would predict, yes, and talk about the future, but vague enough that to, to, to prevent the church from being fixated on predicting the time because that was not his purpose. His purpose was to say, in the here and now, here's how I want you to live in light of the inevitability of these events. This was Christ's concern. Living ready in the now. The Drake Hotel in Chicago is one of the most famous and luxurious hotels. It's a four-star hotel right on the, um, on the magnificent mile right there in downtown Chicago. And the story is told that in the 1950s, Queen Elizabeth was planning a visit to Chicago. Any Crown fans out there? Anybody watch The Crown? All right, thank you for admitting that publicly. Okay, um, Queen, she was coming and she had not announced her travel itinerary. So the whole city was up in arms planning for her to arrive. They painted the garbage cans a beautiful color. They cleaned the streets. They cleaned up the port so that her, her boat, when it came into Lake Michigan to boat, it would be beautiful. And they started going to all of the hotels and saying, we don't know where she's staying, but you need to get ready to roll out the red carpet. And when they came to the owner of the Drake Hotel, they said, you better get ready. And the manager said, we are making no plans for the queen. Our rooms are always ready for royalty. I like that. Our rooms are always ready. How about us? Prayerful, alert, wise, calm, faithful. Did you notice all the practical things just look back at your Bible. Let me read a couple of them to you. Verse 36, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things and stand before the Son of Man. Verse 34, watch yourselves. Pay attention. Be alert. That your hearts aren't weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, cares of this life. Verse 28, now when these things begin to take place, I love this verse. I have a lot to say about it. When these things begin to take place, Look what Christians do, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is near. 
I love this. Jesus is preparing his people. And notice, this is not an instruction to you as an individual or me as an individual. These are words to a community. We can't do this without each other. We need help. And Jesus wants to help us. And the things that Jesus says in this passage are incredibly helpful. He tells us three things about his return that will encourage us to be this kind of a community. Three things. Okay, number one, his return is the cure. Number two, his return is certain. And number three, his return is the comfort that you really need. His return is the cure, his return is certain, and his return is the comfort you really need. And church, can I promise you, if we embrace these this morning and understand these and hold on to these together, we'll become that that kind of community that's always ready for royalty. I love that. I want to be that kind of church. So number one, we'll take some time with it. The return of Christ is the cure, all right? It is the solution. It's the only solution to all of the instability, all of the volatility, all of the hurt, all of the brokenness all of the disintegration that is the result of living in a fallen world. There's only one cure, and that cure is Jesus, and ultimately, his return. Let me show you where I'm seeing that. Look at verses 25 through 28. The purpose of these verses is to create a contrast between the signs that will immediately precede the return of Christ and the ultimate sign the actual return. There's a contrast that Jesus is creating. I can summarize the signs in verse 25 and 26. If you look at your Bible, I can summarize them with one word and that word is instability, okay? Instability. Right before the return of Christ, the earth will become an unstable environment. Signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations, perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens themselves will be shaken. Even the heavens will show signs of instability. This will be a frightening time. This will be cosmic. Every human on the planet will know something's wrong. Something's coming. Something is happening. And it will create anxiety and fear globally, worldwide. So if you're wondering if it's the end times, it's not the end times. (laughs) Because it will be so clear and so obvious and so cosmic and global and what's happening in these signs, let me just unveil something. This, these signs represent something about the true condition of the world. So yes, they will be magnified at the end, radical instability, where even the heavens are being shaken. But here's the thing that the Christian knows. That instability, it's already a reality in our world. It's just being covered over by the grace of God as he holds this world together. But wait a minute, what would happen if God were to let go of that common grace that holds things together in our world? The world would begin to unravel. 
The seas would roar, the heavens would shake, people would tremble in fear. This is a picture of what's really going on beneath the surface and the Christian already knows it. We already know it. And then comes the cure. Look at verse 27. I love this. This is the contrast. Instability and who shows up? The son of man. So also when you see these things taking place, he says, know that the kingdom of God is near. Uh, I read the wrong verse. And, when, and then when they, when they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Paul calls Jesus Christ the one through whom all things are created and for whom all things are created. And what else? Paul says, in him, all things hold together. In the moment of greatest instability, the son of man will come, the one who holds all things together. And the Christian will know the cure has arrived. Praise God. And that's why these crazy Christians will be doing what they're doing in verse 28. I mean, look at it. It's so fascinating. While the rest of the world is fretting, pulling out their hair, trembling in fear, curled up in a ball, Christians will be standing with their shoulders out and their heads up, knowing our redemption is here. The cure has arrived finally. Hallelujah. Can I tell you something, my friends? If you don't live that way now, spiritually, you won't take that posture then physically. Let me say that again. If you're not convinced now of those truths spiritually, that Jesus is our cure, that we, the world, what the world most desperately needs is for Christ's return. If you don't live with that conviction now, you will not be taking that posture then physically. Jesus says, embrace this truth, believe this truth, live into this truth, hold one another accountable to this truth within the body of Christ. The return of Christ is the cure. But that's not all. Look what Jesus does next. The return of Christ is certain, more certain than the ground beneath your feet and the skies above your head. Isn't that what Jesus says in verse 33? When he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is a fabulous verse. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. In other words, my words, and specifically what I'm telling you right now about my return, they are more permanent, they have more certainty, they're more, they're more grounded, they're more eternal than the very ground beneath your feet. That's how certain they are. Have you ever woken up in the morning and as you're swinging your feet out of bed, have you ever thought to yourself, I wonder if the ground will be there when I put my feet down, okay? Unless you're incredibly hungover, all right? You've probably never thought that. You probably know the ground is gonna be there. 
And Jesus says, okay, but the certainty of my word is more certain than that. It's more certain that, that my word is more certain than that there will be stars in the sky tonight or that the sun will rise tomorrow. You can take it to the bank. That's how true God's word is. That's how true the word of Christ is. But now I have to ask you, brothers and sisters, do you believe that? Do you live like that? Is this the strongest source of truth and authority in your life? I hope it is. It's so powerful. Can I tell you something personal? In my life, the words of Jesus have never let me down. Not one time. The word of Christ has never failed me. That doesn't mean that there haven't been moments where the word of Christ made me uncomfortable. It's happened all the time. That doesn't mean there haven't been moments where the word of Christ convicted me or pressed me or pushed me out of my comfort zone. But the word of Christ has never failed me. Never let me down. This is why I know it's true. I also know it's true because if you think about it, God's word has been derided, debated over, dissected, <laughs> divided over, over and over and over in human history. Isn't it interesting? If there's one book that's been criticized and condemned and critiqued over and over and over, it's God's word. And yet it has survived. Here we are. Isn't that interesting? It was Voltaire, the famous French philosopher, brilliant atheist. Voltaire, he was not a fan of Christianity. And he wrote a lot about Christianity and he wrote a lot of critique about the Bible. And one point in his life, Voltaire said, 100 years from today, the Bible will be a forgotten book. 100 years from today. No one will remember the Bible. It was very common for the Enlightenment thinkers to say these kind of things. But did you know that in a great twist of irony, that 100 years after Voltaire made that statement, the Geneva Bible Society was printing Bibles out of the house that he made that statement and they had bought the house. They used his, they used his printing press to print Bibles in French from his living room. <laughs> The word of Christ will never fail you. Heaven and earth will pass away before the word of Christ will pass away. Amen, River West. Do you believe that? You must believe that. You need to believe that. Now the context is a parable. Look at the parable. He says, you look at fig trees. You stand out in your yard. And the moment you see that first bud, you know Spring is coming, summer's coming. You don't need anyone to tell you that. You don't need anyone with secret knowledge to walk up and go, do you know what that means? Spring is coming. You already, you can see it with your own eyes. That's, that's what Jesus is emphasizing. And he says, that promise, that truth is so certain that I'm telling you right now, the heavens will melt before that word passes away. I just love this. When you're certain about the future, it impacts your present. 
It changes the way you live. When you know, I know what's coming, it gives you resolve, it gives you wisdom, it gives you faithfulness, a sense of how you should live. When I was a very young man, still in high school, before I even graduated from high school, for some reason, God had given me this really strong sense that in, in a very short time, I was going to meet an amazing young woman and marry her. And I just knew it. I don't know why. I'm not going to hyper-spiritualize this, okay? This is not the young man going to the young woman saying, God told me we're getting married. And the young woman's thinking, I didn't get that memo. <laughs> okay, that's not this moment. This was just me as a young man knowing I'm going to be married sometime soon and she's going to be an unbelievable child of God. And the certainty of that future impacted the way I lived in the present. On New Year's Eve of my senior year, before I ever went to Willamette, I, was, I hadn't even applied to Willamette. I hadn't met Kathy. My senior year, New Year's Eve, I was with a buddy and we were talking about this and we wrote letters to our future wives. I wrote a letter, two pages, and I, I just said, to my future wife. And I made all these commitments about how I would live from that moment until our wedding night. Commitments to sexual purity, to be a man of Jesus, to faithfulness, to fidelity. How I wanted to feel, how I wanted to be in my relationship with Jesus when we stood at the altar together. And then on our wedding night, I gave that letter to Kathy and she, she read it. It's, it's, a, it's a humble illustration, but here's the point. When you're certain about the future, it impacts your present. Amen? How, how certain are you? This day is coming. There will be a day, and I hope it happens in our lifetime. It might not. But what about you? Will the day, when the day arrives, will you be one of the faithful who stands, shoulders out, head up? My redemption has arrived. The return of Christ is certain. And then finally, the return of Christ is the comfort you really need. Look now with me at that last paragraph, starting in 34. In this final paragraph, here's what Jesus does. He turns our attention to the danger of tuning out, tuning out spiritually through the little comforts of this world. Notice that warning, okay? Watch yourselves. Be alert. Now, now, can I point something out? Jesus is not saying, be on the lookout for signs, trying to predict when it's going to happen, scouring the news feed to figure things out. That's the focus is to be alert, to pay attention. Where? Right into here. That's what Jesus means when he says, be alert, pay attention. And the cluster of words in verse 34 is really interesting. He says, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, that that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, like an animal getting sprung in a trap. And those words, we don't use those words. We don't use the word dissipation that often. But the three words clustered together, the Greeks would do this commonly. 
here's dissipation is the Greek word that refers to the headache after drinking too much. It's the hangover moment, okay? That's dissipation. Drunkenness, which is the Greek word methe, all right? That word means, it refers to habitual intoxication. So it's speaking of, of a pattern of constant and intentional, most likely alcohol consumption in this day, but it could refer to anything that makes you tuned out but a habitual pattern of constant alcohol consumption with the goal of staying drunk. And then now look, take those two words and put them together, right? Constant drunkenness with a hangover. This is like the person who drinks a beer to start dealing with the hangover and it turns into this vicious cycle. And then the next phrase, cares of this world, is just a phrase that refers to any of the little things in this world that would consume you. They could be neutral. They could be good things. Little cares, little concerns, little things that occupy your headspace or your time, but they can become things that we use to tune out, to, to numb out, to self-medicate, to detach, to move to a place of alternative reality so I can, I can turn off my brain for a while. And Jesus just says, be careful. God has filled our world with so many beautiful things, little comforts and joys, that are meant to, be a, meant to be a blessing, but they can also become a trap because if we're not careful, we can, we can go to them, turn to them and, and, and allow them to occupy a place in our lives that's much more consuming than Jesus ever intended. We can use them to shut off. I, I remember I met with a young man one time and he had asked me to mentor him and he's saying to him, I've noticed a pattern in my life that every single day when I get home from work, the very first thing I wanna do is crack open a beer just to, just to take the edge off a little bit. And he noticed this is a pattern in my life of turning to something that's generally good, but I've, I'm turning to it to numb out and turn off and self-medicate. And it doesn't have to be intoxicants or chemicals. It can be all kinds of things, right? The internet, social media, pornography, food, anything we would turn to. I knew a man when I I lived in Eugene who told me one time he would, when he would have a really stressful day, this was one of the weirder ones I've ever heard, okay? He'd have a really stressful day. The very first thing he wanted to do, he would drive on his way home and he would get a steak an entire bag of potato chips. And he told me, I don't even cook the steak. I just cut it up into cubes and I eat it raw. And I was like, dude, why don't you take a donut and just shove it into your heart and just kill yourself? <laughs> but he, what happened was over time, he, he, he got into the place where he didn't even want to cook the steak anymore. He just wanted to eat it. And I thought, wow. And that was how he numbed out, right? I didn't mean to make your stomach upset this morning. <laughs> but I had to share that just so you feel better about whatever it is you're turning to. Okay. (laughs) Okay, the little comforts of this life are, can be incredibly good unless I'm going to them in a dangerous way. And Jesus says, just pay attention. Those things will never fill you. Can I ask you a question, my friends? Where do you turn first when... You're feeling stressed. 
when you go, oh, I just wanna, I just wanna numb the pain. I just wanna turn it off. Where do you go? Do you go to one of those things? Will you look now at verse 36? So verse 36 is the true comfort. It's been hiding there run right under our noses. Stay awake at all times through what? Being prayerful. As if Jesus is saying, do you know where you really, your soul was created to go to get real comfort? It's headlong into the arms of Jesus where you can find the true comfort you need with a view towards the end when you'll stand before him and you'll no longer see him like through a glass dimly lit. You'll see him for who he truly is and there will be total intimacy and joy and all of the longings of your heart will be fulfilled. I love this. The return of Christ is the comfort you really need. And so my friends, this is the kind of church we wanna be. I mean, this is who God's calling us to be. Alert and prayerful and wise and engaged in our world, making a difference here, building the way Christ would have us build.